Today's podcast, I'm going to be introducing an old friend of mine, Dr. Gareth Craze. Still feel funny calling him a doctor, but he has recently done his PhD and he's earned every square inch of it. This guy is a behavioral scientist and basically a genius when it comes to high achievers and coaching people uh, with psychology. And he likes to focus on organizational management, leadership. So he's a board certified coach and a personal lifestyle coach. But more than that, this guy has lived an exceptional life. And today he's going to talk about how he's managed to do that and how he helps other people to do that. And more importantly, the life of the lone wolf, the person who isn't that interested in creating deep, meaningful social connections with lots of people uh, who actually prefers to do it on their own, but has a few very deep and meaningful connections that completely satisfies them socially. So if you've ever been the odd one out and the lone wolf and you're wondering how to make the most of that and you felt a lot of pressure to become something else, well, maybe you need to listen to this guy. This is Brojo Online. Masculinity, confidence, and integrity. I don't actually know how long I've known you for. I mean, decade plus, something like that. Um, 12, 13 years, maybe. Yep. Yeah. And, um, you know, you've fascinated me as a person because you certainly haven't walked the beaten path as far as I can tell. Um, and you know, when I first met you, I don't even know what I'd call that job that you had when I first met music promoter, manager, something on those mixed bag of stuff there. Yeah. In, in the in the you know category of metal largely as well which is a very high risk category for someone to try and make money in musically um through to what you're doing now which almost looks like a completely different life uh you know phd neuroscience coaching and yet you're still the same guy that i first met you know it's the same guy just doing completely different things so one of the things I absolutely respect and admire about you, and, and I hope to kind of pick apart a bit today, is how you've been able to live this oddball, do-it-yourself, exactly the way you want to do it type life, as opposed to, you know, going down the well-worn water slides that everybody else slips down. Um, because I, I absolutely believe that a content and happy life, if there is such a thing, comes from living like you're doing choosing your way doing what you think is right quite often going against the grain uh, but having the faith in yourself to do that maybe having the understanding that the grain isn't necessarily a healthy thing to go with something like that so that's what i want to explore with you today i don't have like set questions or anything i just want to dig in and actually i want to personally get to know you a bit better you know i know you kind of just as hanging out and talking about topics that we both enjoy but i don't actually know that much about you in terms of your history um childhood all that kind of stuff you know so let me hand it over to you i don't want to overwhelm you with one of those big questions like how's your life been um but maybe take me through just a little bit of a biographical history of what you think were the key moments you know for you from start to now and how you ended up being this 
yeah cheers bro um how how i ended up being this this entity um yeah look i mean as far as um i think as far as like key moments in my background are concerned like there was a there was sort of a point at in primary school when i realized you know like 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 a lot of people have this realization i'm not quite like all the other girls kind of thing mm -hmm. and uh uh, so I, I mean, I, I sort of had this epiphany where I was quite a lonely kid, you know, through a lot of childhood, but I was also not a kid who was desperate to make friends either. And that has stuck with me for a lot of my life. Um, I don't derive much of my pleasure or my fulfillment um, in life from the kinship of other people. And, um, uh, and I actually, you know, I, I really cottoned on to this really early. Like it was, you know, there was this feeling like initially I was, I remember being like five or six years old and feeling like I was kind of left out or something like that, you know, and, and feeling, you know, maybe like I'd been scorned by the other students or, you know, what the fuck was wrong with me or something like that. Um, and that sort of like carried on with me a little bit through primary school and stuff. But I think I got to about maybe nine or 10 years old and I had this realization where I was like, I don't actually like being around friends that much. Anyway, there was something about how interesting the world in my own mind was compared to anything that was on offer from other people. And, um, that effect got amplified when I was at high school. Like, I mean, I went to a, you know, you'll be able to, you know, resonate with this, uh, you know, being from West Auckland and stuff. You went to Massey, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I went to Calston. So, I mean, you know, like mm -hmm. West Auckland school, all boys, very jock rugby school, you know, like, like, um, you know, great, great school from which I, you know, got fond memories in a lot of respects. But, um, you know, by the time I was like 15 or 16, I was this kind of lonely kid who was like, man, you know, I'm glad I've got interesting shit up here to keep me occupied because the shit that I'm surrounded by is about as fucking banal and fucking stupid as it could possibly be, you know? So, so I had, I had just these key moments growing up, um, in terms of like how I developed in relationship to other people that I think have stuck with me. Um, and, and, and a lot hasn't really changed. Like the, the, the funny thing is like, I'm a much more comfortable person these days in the social world. Like I, you know, like I have friends and colleagues from, you know, all walks of life. And I, you know, have, um, um, you know, I'm, I'm perfectly adept at being around them and, and so forth. Um, but actually Henry Rollins one time said this, he made this distinction, which I think is very powerful. And I think really, really, um, sits with me. Well, like, like really sums up what I'm like, he said that he is great at being in front of people, being with people is a different issue. Mm. Um, I'm fantastic at being in front of people, like stick me in front of a crowd, stick me in front of a client or something like that. Um, you know, I can, I can light up the stage in front of just about anyone, you know, like when it, when it comes to, um, kind of giving a performance of myself as it were, I'm like dab hand, but when I'm just around people for the sake of socializing, 
I can do it up to a point and then I reach my limits of sociality very, very quickly. And um, I don't want to make it sound like, you know, my kind of relatively asocial personality is everything about who I am, but it's certainly shaped a lot of my philosophy on the world. It's sort of, uh, you know, shaped a lot of my outlook on myself. Um, you know, I, I, I got to a point where I was like, I went through a pretty serious, you know, sort of fast forwarding a bit. Um, when I was in the music industry, as you mentioned, like working as a promoter and stuff, there was a point, I think about 2012, 2013, where I was pretty seriously depressed. Um, just not having a, a good time of life. Like um, I was in a very toxic relationship. My business was starting to tank. Um, I'd done a few kind of dumb things in my life that had just kind of just basically fucked my life up in a couple of key ways. And I'd sort of come to this like, you know, um, almost like biblical kind of reckoning moment, dark night of the soul or whatever, where I was sort of like questioning myself about like, you know, is there something inherently fucked up about me? You know, like, is, is, is there something about all that time through childhood and adolescence where I felt like I was comfortable with, you know, solitude, extended periods of solitude that I, I, I had this sort of sort of general aversiveness to the company of people anyway has that all kind of come home to bite me in the ass in some way and um when i come came through the end of that period i actually sort of realized no actually kind of the opposite in fact what was so challenging for me in working in the music industry was that that's a job like being a promoter is a job where socially and interpersonally you've got to be on all the time and you've got to kind of like enjoy the social dimensions of it. And I just didn't at all. Like, like seriously, like, 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 uh, there were some nights where, um, you know, I'd have like a sold out show, um, you know, a thousand people in the room, fucking everyone having the time of their life and shit like that. And the only person who didn't give a flying fuck about the whole thing was me, you know, yeah. and I was the person who'd successfully staged the show because, you know, I, I was just like looking out over the sea of people with their friends, um, having a fat old time. I'd go backstage, um, you know, the tour manager and the band were all like commending me and saying, oh, fucking great show, let's hang out and shit like, shit like that. And all I wanted to do was just, with, with no disrespect to anyone there or anything like that, crawl back into bed and read a book by myself and be very, very happy in my own company. And like now I've kind of got myself in a position where you know, doing your PhD is a very, very solitary thing. You know, you're working, you're working with other researchers and academics and stuff, but you know, your PhDs are famous for being, um, you know, pursuits that make people very, very lonely, you know, and if you're someone who likes to have a lot of friends and likes to be around the company of people a lot, you know, a PhD is kind of, can be a tall order for you. But for me, this was amazing. Like, like for me, um, doing my PhD, and being buried in reading and literature and data analysis all day and stuff like that. Whereas in the, you know, compared to the time I was in the music industry, I was having to deal with people all day. It was fucking paradise by comparison. It really was. And now I think I've sort of taken that same energy into what I do now, you know, working as a, as, you know, as a coach and sort of the same broad space that you're in. And um, so, I mean, again, to go back to the, you know, being in front of someone compared to being with someone, put me in front of a client and that client is just like another piece of data 
to me. They're kind of like, you know, without dehumanizing them or depersonalizing them, um, they're an abstraction. They're a concept, you know, and I, and I work well with abstractions and concepts. Um, you know, the moment that that client says to me, well, you know, maybe we should get a drink sometime or something like that. <laughs> you know, that, that that's where, you know, I'm just kind of like, well, yeah, okay, kind of, kind of deal. Um, yeah, and, and, and so, yeah, that, I mean, that, that's, I think that's a little bit about, I mean, you mentioned the word oddball. I, I think, I think why I've sort of like, like started off with this kind of motif is that that's where the oddballness really came from originally, you know, the, 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 the sense that I wasn't quite uh, within the meaty part of the bell curve, as it were. It came from, you know, this early childhood realization that, again, I, I my, my life is not primarily fulfilled in kinship with other people. So I think that's what set the, sort of the oddball train rolling in motion. Interesting. You know, we're almost identical. Uh, I'm a front of stage guy as well. Uh, when it comes to being nice guy, I call it the performer type. They put on the show to get approval rather than anything else, you know. Um, literally on stage sometimes but i was desperate for kinship that was my driving motive uh which is whereas for you it was more like keeping people's arms length wasn't it which i suppose it was for me a bit as well but what's really interesting is the link between i'd call an advantage actually in some aspects where because you don't have ties socially you're not influenced when it comes to choosing the direction of your life, what you want to do, where you want to go, how you want to act. You're far less tied down than the people in the meaty part of the bell curve. You know, I, I remember being, uh, when I got to university, I uh, started actually with a communications degree. I switched to psychology in like second semester or something. But I remember sitting there in this communications degree doing all those beginner papers. And at one point I said that I was like, I have no idea why I'm here. I feel like I've like dropped into this life and somebody else made all the decisions. Like, and and I, I often felt like just being pulled down a river by the current. Well, that current was trying to fit in socially. The current was a desperate need to be part of the in crowd. Um, I even got to the point where I, I, like sometimes early on, I was choosing papers at the beginning of my degree because I saw hot girls signing up for them. I mean, that's kind of how my decision-making looked like. I was like, where's the, where's the approval I need there? All right, I guess that's where I live now, you know? Um, and this is why I find our, our similarities so intriguing because we have such a massive difference as well. You know, all lots of the same sort of strategy for trying to enjoy life and so on, but I was tied to something that you weren't tied to. And we, we ended up in the same spot. It's really bizarre, you know, but I had to untie myself right. to get there. So I was, when you're like music promoting and stuff, I'm still nine to five wearing a suit and tie and doing all the same stuff everybody else does. It took me a long time to come around to coaching, which was my version of music promoting or whatever is my version of doing something different that nobody else is doing and fuck what everybody else thinks. And I'll just have to figure it out for myself. But like you, I love this is my favorite place is in here reading books thinking things through i love podcasting making videos because it's me just talking about my ideas i could do it forever i never run out of ideas um but i used to sacrifice that to fit in socially whereas you would 
bail on socializing to go back to that very interesting um i find that the period of depression interesting that you managed to come out the other side not accidentally coming to the conclusion that there's something wrong with you you know um sounds more like your depression was a result of kind of the perfect storm lots of uh rough things going on for you at the same time what what other insights do you have from that period of your life you know like how how is it that somebody who's going their own way and kind of knows who they are and following that does end up depressed well i mean the, the simple answer is i you know at one point i really wasn't following um mm what I should have been doing, you know, like I, I was in a relationship that I knew I should not have been in. And, you know, like for which if I had only tried to take something of an aloof third person perspective on the issue, which I did every time we broke up, which was every, you know, three weeks or something like that, you know, like I, you know, have that aloof perspective where it was like, oh, what the fuck am I doing in this fucking thing? You know what I mean? Um, and that, and that just dragged out for several years. So, I mean, that was part of it. Part of it was I knew the music industry wasn't for me. And yet I had this business that I was struggling to keep afloat. You know, we got kind of hammered in the last couple of years that I was running that business. We had a lot of like cancellations. We had, I just had a lot of stress on my shoulders. And the thing is like, these days I still have a lot of professional stress, but I enjoy the professional stress because I enjoy what I do so much. You know, like when I, when I was stressed out in the music industry, like when a show would cancel or something like that, um, I was stressed out in the way where it was like, oh man, I'm losing money and I fucking hate what I do. You know, what mm. hate's possibly too strong a word, but I, you know, I'm not, this is not the, 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 the lane that I want to be in. And I think that just kind of like compounded it. Um, on top of that, um, I got busted for drink driving in 2011 or 12 or something like that which was incredibly stupid and, you know, something for which I was, you know, suitably humiliated and chastened and set back on my ass and, and so forth. And, you know, it, but it was just another thing that added to that perfect storm. And I mean, just to sort of circle back to your question, I, I think for me, the depression arose simply from the fact that in a relationship I shouldn't have been in and a career path I shouldn't be, shouldn't have been in doing stuff in my life, like getting busted for drink driving which is just so not congruent with who i am as a person um i was living outside of myself you know there, there was this like super high potential um gifted person um sitting on the sidelines you know waiting to creep back into the right lane or, or to, to to find the right lane um for the first time perhaps arguably um and i i you know me and that person one weren't one and the same i was i was someone else um i think i i think there was a period during that time where to the outside world i was kind of miming the language of success mm. in a lot of ways you know like you know kind of i mean just just sort of to the outside world kind of like well fucking you know music promoter what a cool job you know hot girlfriend that's cool kind of thing and and you know and I think I almost believed a little bit of the outside hype in my own mind or something like that, as if, as if to, you know, sort of convince myself in a moment, ah, dude, you know, you're a fucking concert promoter with a hot girlfriend. Just fucking, what are you complaining about? You know, just fucking enjoy your lot in life kind of thing. You know, like you, you know, hard, some people have it and shit like that. And, but I think that perpetuated the depression 
you know, because I would be having these sort of internal wrestling matches in my own mind of, you know, the, the lot in life that I should be satisfied with. Why am I not satisfied with this? Um, and so forth. And, you know, I mean, I'd stop short of calling it a midlife crisis. You know, I mean, for one thing, I was sort of in my early 30s at this point or whatever, but it's probably the closest thing I've come in my life to something like that. You know, this kind of, um, this kind of critical threshold of everything sort of coming together at the, at, at the same time. And I can't remember like any singular inc incident or, or, or thought that I had, but there was some time, some definitive time around 2000 and I think late 2013, early 2014, where I had this realization that if I'm going to extricate myself from this depression, I have to start realigning my life with the vision that I really want to pursue for myself and the values that I really hold. Because right now I'm not doing either. Right now um, I'm kind of orbiting a vision I don't want to pursue. And I'm certainly not living in alignment with my deepest values. You know, like I, I'm living really totally out of lockstep with my own values in a couple of key ways. And so, yeah, I, I, I think that, that, I mean, that, that, that is the kind of uh, proximate cause uh, you talk about distal causes. Um, I mean, I, I know for a fact that, you know, just, just putting it in layman's terms, my brain is wired in such a way. So I have type two bi bipolar. So type two bipolar, for those who don't know, is um, it's all the depression and anxiety of regular bipolar, but without the mania. So I never had the, um, you know, crazy freak outfits and, and, and stuff like that, that kind of maniacal behavior. But I did get diagnosed and the diagnosis uh, and subsequently I'd had brain scans and things like that. And, you know, there, there were sort of um, enlarged areas in certain parts of my brains and less active networks in other parts of my brain. So there's this, you know, very, very strong underlying physiological reason for why someone like me could be a candidate that's prone to depression. Um, but in terms of the proximal causes, I think all of what I just mentioned, you know, just the toxic relationship, not being in a job I wanted to be in and, and all those other things kind of clustering together and, um, you know, kind of putting me over the edge at the same time. It's kind of what did it. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you almost, uh, it was inevitable really, if you had those, that combination of sort of internal and external factors, um, almost incredible that you got out of it really. Uh, which is interesting cause I'm starting to get, you know, one of the kind of questions floating in my mind is like, what's your recipe now? What would you recommend? Um, you know, starting to see some of that come through. One of the things I think you're kind of like a, a model of the classic lone wolf archetype, if there is such a thing, uh, which I know there's a, there's a subsection of my audience and the people I connect with who are in that category and they fought against it their whole life. You know, it's a specific, it's almost a specific type of uh, nice guy, you know, which is my little niche, a niche within a niche of, I think I should be social. And this idea that I don't want to be is, there's something wrong with me for that. Um, you know, some people think, oh, am I a psychopath? One guy's like, do I have that narcissism thing? Is that what this is? And so on and so forth. And, and particularly people on the spectrum, you and I have talked about spectrum uh, before as well I'll be keen to hear your thoughts on that but there's this idea once you embrace the idea like nah you don't want it it doesn't mean you're going to be completely isolated but if you can just get your head around first you don't want it you don't want what everyone else seems to want socially and that's okay it's okay to not want it 
because uh, it sounds like you kind of ended up putting on a we'll call it the the cool promoter guy performance almost urge to be like I, sh I should want this everyone else seems to everyone else seems to think this is cool so i should and, and that kind of guilt trip you know it's like somebody who's rich and miserable and they're like oh, i should be happy it's like but you're not though that's that's the truth you don't have to be right there's actually you know one of the only beneficial things of this johnny depp trial being such a big deal is just if nothing else look rich and famous doesn't mean happy see look how fucking messed up they are and and that's just the case like across the board what we're supposed to want isn't necessarily good to have so I'm, i guess i form a picture of you in my head of how to do the lone wolf thing right how to figure it out and how to make it work and and it's a totally workable type to be it's it's you just got to go with it rather than against it uh what are your thoughts on that little kind of idea yeah i i, I think there's a lot of substance to the general idea i mean i i, I would maybe pull back from the the maybe classic archetype of the lone wolf just to say that i actually do value social interaction and you know i'm glad that i get the social interaction i do i'm I mean, i'm certainly glad i'm not a complete hermit i'm not a complete loner that i actually um you know i mean you know like the, the expression i i love kids i don't have any i love friends i just don't have many kind of thing that's kind of like that, that that's a perfect description of where i'm at and um I mean, I mean, a couple of things I'd say on that, you know, like how to do the sort of quasi lone wolf thing. First of all, I think you've just got to think about what's your reflexive response to the proposition of social interaction. So for me, if someone that I don't know, especially well, like someone who like who might be an acquaintance or, you know, like a colleague who's trying to maybe segue things into something like more akin to a formal friendship. If, there, if there's someone who's kind of like, hey, Gareth, do you want to go to the movies on Wednesday night? My response is always uh, not really. No. And it's not because you I don't think you're cool. And it's actually not because I don't think I would the, that I wouldn't have a good time either. It's just because, you know, if I'm being honest with myself, you know, documentary and lift weights or whatever. And I feel less weird in that space, you know, like that. I, I think that's actually kind of a good proxy. Like if you if you're someone who's got like wolf inclinations and, you know, an acquaintance different, maybe with a with a with a friend. I think that that's maybe like a different conversation. But if, if you're an acquaintance talking about an acquaintance position you for a social engagement and your reflexive response is anything less than actual energetic enthusiasm and you know like on board with the idea then that's okay you know like it, it, you've just got to i think reconcile that fact with yourself that um it's okay it doesn't make you uh, you know you, you might have to sort of like figure out the best approach to like letting people down gently and you know there's some fucking monkey dancing that has to go on a lot of the time when you are sort of a lone wolf type and you're sort of trying to maintain cordial relations in the world because of course you know this is a uh, this is an extrovert world that we live in this 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 is a world not for the lone wolves this is this is a world that's that's governed and structured societally and culturally around the kind of people for whom 
when I say, no, I don't want to go to the movies with you on Wednesday night, they interpret that as, you know, um, a repudiation of them or social rudeness or, you know, why, you know, like what, what's wrong with me or something like that. It's not, it's not a world governed by people who would hear that and sort of think, oh, okay, he just prefers to be by himself more than he would prefer to be with me. And that's okay. We don't live in that world, right? We, 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 you know, people, people like me, people who are perhaps more introverted, you know, like certainly people that are on the spectrum, you know, the, the, the nuances of the social world or the social world are not set up for people like us. Um, and so, I mean, I don't really have any, I don't think I have anything in the way of like broad based advice um, or, or, or like broad based insight in terms of how people that are roughly the same as me would sort of like navigate the world, navigate the social world. But I think a good place to start is kind of just, again, your reflexive response, you know, like, like, like you know, be mindful of yourself, be self-aware enough to um, notice feelings as they arise um and to not be judgmental about them i mean just to give you another example to illustrate i was in um new zealand australia uh, a few weeks ago caught up with a lot of you know a lot of mates and it was actually good for me to i think get that social um interaction i mean certainly hasn't been a lot of it in the last few years with covid and everything like that so um it was actually good for me in a lot of ways developmental for me in a lot of ways to kind of shed the lone wolf skin and get out among people and get that kind of social nourishment because I'm not, um, you know, far along the spectrum or anything like that. I probably veer more to that side of the spectrum. In fact, I, I quantifiably do cause I've done an AQ test before, but, um, you know, so I'm more on that side of the spectrum. So I, you know, um, but, but I still need that kind of social nourishment from time to time. And it was cool up until the very last day or so. And so I'd gone away with a bunch of mates down to the, the southern Western Australia. We had a fat old time. We, we you know, um, it's totally socially lubricated and everything was totally fun. And I was actually enjoying the sociality, um, you know, with it within reasons, like within limits, like, you know, 10 o'clock or something like that. I'd scurry off to bed and happy to be by myself again. But that last, the road trip back home. So the story was road trip back home very quiet in the back of van with a bunch of other blokes, you know, again, who I've been having a fat old time with. And the whole thing, the whole time I was just like, that was a great fucking holiday. I can't wait to get home now. I can't wait to like get back to Perth. Um, I had one more sleep, uh, get on the plane and get back to Vietnam. When I got back to Perth, I tested positive for COVID. And so I couldn't, uh, because Vietnam at this point, they actually, it's stupid. It's so funny. They changed the re entry requirements like three days after I got home. But at that point I had to show either a PCR test or a, or a rat test within 24 hours. So basically I was fucked as far as like my, my planned departure the next day was concerned. Um, and so when I got that test, I was fucking like my mood sunk like a stone. And it sunk even further because in the background of the house I was staying at or, or that I was bunking down with, um, uh, my uh, friend's girlfriend, who had also just tested positive for COVID, she yells out, well, at least we can all hang out in the lounge together then. And so, 
and of course she you know she was saying it from a totally sweet and totally well-intentioned and totally well-motivated place and my response in my own mind at that point was i fucking hate being around people i fucking hate being around people totally irrational and i don't actually hate being around people but in that moment i felt like my ticket to solitude and my ticket to liberation from being around people had been yanked away from me brutally and it fucking hurt viscerally like i fucking i when i got on the phone with katie and my wife and told her i'm going to be delayed at least a couple of days i was legitimately upset and telling her and she was totally she was like babe you know it's a couple of days you'll be fine kind of thing and i knew that you know and as it turns out next day i test negative um and it was probably a bullshit rat test or something like that who fucking knows and i ended up getting the back to vietnam two days after i'd planned but just in that moment in that moment where i'd been absorbed in the social world um but had reached my limits of it and then to have my my yeah uh, pathway to solitude my, my my impending pathway to solitude yanked away from me that fucking hurt and you know sort of processing it a couple of days later I was just like, you know, was I rational about that? You know, was was there, um, is, is that the right way to, for someone to have responded? And now that I have the knowledge that I do about myself, I can say, yes, that was the expectable and rational response from someone like me, knowing who I am. So, I mean, I, I and I say all of this, you know, long-winded shaggy dog story just to sort of, maybe give some context to people who are kind of in a similar boat that, you know, like if, if you have your version of, oh, wow, you, you've got to do something like hang out at a house for an extra couple of days while a few people are around and you get this feeling of this is the worst fucking thing in the world. Don't feel like there's something wrong with you. Don't feel like it's a character defect. The, the analogy I would use for anyone who feels that way particularly people that are especially introverted is it's just like some people can only take so much heat. Some people can only take so much cold, you know, like we, 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 we all have limits, um, to have, you know, to, we, we all have a, a comfortable temperature range. And I would suggest that it's the same for social exposure as well. And sometimes if you're exposed too much to the social world and you're not someone who can take the metaphorical heat or cold, you're going to respond in the way that your brain deems fit. And that's, that's not a defect. That's not a deficiency. Yeah, I think we're more similar than I first thought. I have limits. Like, uh, my, my wife and I are both into Zouk dancing. And, and I'm really into it. Until about three hours in. And then I'm really, really fucking not. Like... Like I might as well be at something I don't want to be at at all. Like I'll, I'll be dancing away, you know, and it's lovely dancing with all these lovely girls. It's all very cuddly and nice. And it's my kind of socializing. There's no talking and, and it's all going very well. And at some point the dance finishes and I just go, Oh, I'm so done now. I'm I have to leave within the next 15 seconds or I'm going to have a tantrum. Like I'm really like trapped, suffocating done. Uh, and it hits me very quickly. I've learned to like just breathe through and just go okay that was my last dance i'm just gonna do my little irish goodbye and just back out of the room like homer simpson into the bush you know just disappear and, and it's all good um 
But my, my wife would dance until she collapsed if she could. You know, she never gets sick of it. It's never enough. It's the same when she socializes. Like, it, I'm at her, you know, at her family's house or whatever, and we hit about the two hour mark, and I just feel like I've got full blown depression out of nowhere. But it's just, I'm just done. And I've actually made peace with that recently. And she, she doesn't get it, but she never has that. There's no limit. Like, she enjoys something, she enjoys it constantly without break whereas i just i have a peak and then a valley and then i'm done with this thing and it's actually doing it too much that's killed things for me like i don't play guitar anymore because i did more than i wanted to and now i don't want to at all you know i actually killed it so i think you know earlier you said the world's kind of wired for extroverts words to that effect i think there's more people like you and i than it might seem I think more people don't like the way it's wired than possibly even not necessarily a majority, but maybe it's 50, 50. It's, I think that a lot of people are playing along and that gives the impression that a lot more people are into it. And actually, right. you know, yeah. if it was, and, and I, no doubt if we went exploring around different cultures around the world, especially more isolated ones, we'd find ones where they're totally cool with it. Like, I'm done with you cunts, I'm going for a three-day walk. They'll be like, yeah, that's fine. Whereas if you did that where, you know, you and I are used to being, that would be deemed as, like, mental illness or something. So um, what I like about you speaking up about this is mostly just making it okay. Uh, you know, you talked about how you can't do this in society. Well, when I created the Brojo community, it basically became a community like this. You know, we'd be having like a group session. Someone's like, I've had enough. I'm going home. And everyone's like, all right, have a good night. You know, because everyone got it. Everyone knows what that feeling's like. Right, and and right. you're allowed to do that yeah. here, you know. Yeah. Um, and even in certain elements of the dance community, there's certain people there. I know I can go sit next to them on the couch and be like, I just suddenly don't want to fucking be here. And they'll be like, I know what you're talking about. Like, I just got that the other day. And, and it's okay with them. But it's still like this best kept secret thing. So I'm glad you're sort of bringing it out as a kind of like you say just check in with it how do you really feel about this because there's no point fighting it there's nothing wrong with you, <laughs> you know, your body's telling you what you prefer why would you fight against that and all i'm trying to add i think is that the idea that everyone else prefers something else is an illusion there are a lot of people pretending that they prefer it but they're actually just like you and too scared to speak out um but you have spoken out and you know what's really ironic you know you say that the world's wired against this, but you're doing pretty well, you know, and however you want to measure that quality of life, like it's, I don't know much about you and your partner. I'm keen to hear a bit more about what kind of partner a guy like you ends up with. Do you know what I mean? How does she accommodate you being this way and what she like? I'm keen to hear about her. You're a partner. You're doing what you love for a living. Uh, you're living in a place that you obviously find exciting and interesting to stay at um you've kind of got your shit really well sorted uh, physically fit you know there are a lot of people who are going with the grain who don't have anywhere near that level of of personal fulfillment or success so maybe you have found a way to make it work for you this world you know um that's just an observation i'm keen to hear your thoughts on that yeah i mean i i think it's just a case of you know to the degree that this is I mean, I agree with you, by the way, that, that, that there's probably more people like us than we are perhaps uh, 
uh, aware of, you know, that, that maybe there are so many people that are maintaining the illusion that the illusion is actually more prominent and more uh, widespread and universal than I perhaps alluded to. I, I think that's absolutely possible. Um, but as far as like, you know, how the, the advantage I have of, of navigating this world that I'm in is I just don't, I, I, I've kind of disabused myself of the need to fulfill social obligations in any way. So, um, my wife, Katia is very similar to me in a lot of respects and that she's, um, much more of an introvert systemizer than an extrovert empath. Um, she prefers her own company. Um, we are each other's best friends. We are each other's entire social life in many ways. Um, and we like it that way. Like, like if we're going to go out and be social, why don't we just be social together? Because we like talking to each other. We have many great things to talk about and rely, you know, and even though we have friends and, you know, mutual friends and so forth, and, and you know, we still get social nourishment from seeing those friends. Um, you know, we are very much the kind of couple that, um, you know, Hey, this is your meme almost of like the, the, the couple in their forties who goes out, um, for a date, you know, a double date with another couple or something like that has a good time, but we're the ones who get home, can't wait to rip our clothes off and turn the air conditioning on and be like, thank fucking God that is over fucking people. Oh my God. You know, like, <laughs> and, and, and it's, and it's not like those particular people that we just saw. It's just the presence of people. Um, so, so having a wife who is kind of chipped the same way as I am is very, very helpful. It's it, with, with, with her and I, it's not a case of, um, I mean, we're opposite in some um, aesthetic and cultural ways, but in terms of our, um, in terms of our broad psychological dimensions, her and I are very, very similar in many ways. Um, on top of that, I live in a country where people don't speak English most of the time which is great because I can see someone from five, like, well, 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 you know, I can see someone from 500 meters away and know I'm not going to be able to have a conversation with them. And that for me or for someone like me is fucking liberating, right? Like, like I, I, I mean, I remember the old, you know, curb your enthusiasm about the old stop and chat, you know, like, like, like the, the, the person who barely knows you, who bumps into you, but because they have this, you know, very, very loose connection to you, they assume that, oh, well, you know me or you know of me so we we must stop and engage for at least 15 seconds or something like that right none of that here right and i love that because you know um it was certainly when i was working the music industry fuck me i mean i couldn't i couldn't walk from the backstage area to the front of the venue without encountering 20 50 people like hey gareth hey gareth and, and like you know you're feeling like you're, you're the rude cunt or something like that by not stopping and having an, an actual conversation with people. And like legitimately it fucking graded on me, you know, and, and, and it graded on me. And I, and I, I can say this, um, in with clear conscience. Um, I can say it in a way where it's like, you know, I wasn't repudiating these conversations because I didn't like the people or anything like that necessarily. I know that these people were coming from a well-intentioned and well-motivated place when it came to hitting me up and saying, hey, Gareth, come and chat with me for a second. But I just fucking hated it. And so here, I don't have to do that, which is wonderful. Um, I, 
Um, my side gig is I, I teach at a university here in uh, well, two different universities here in Vietnam. Um, you know, 100% of my students are ESL. So most of the time they're not asking me questions and stuff like that anyway. Um, you know, a lot of the time they're probably tuning out. Um, you know, it's, it's almost like teaching into the void somehow, you know, like, like I'm not actually sort of like speaking with people. I'm talking to a void in a lot of ways. It's with no, no disrespect to my students or anything like that, but it's certainly, it's a different dynamic compared to, you know, if I was doing the same thing to a class full of English speakers who were getting every jot and tittle of what I was saying. Um, another thing I love exercising because I love being on my own. Um, I love um, going for like I, I do a like the equivalent um, of a 10 kilometer run almost every morning. And that time for me is just fucking currency, man. I mean, like it's um, it's the time where I'm at my sharpest mentally. Um, it's where my imagination and my creativity and uh, my ability to sort of process ideas. And, um, you know, I love playing with language. I think that's like one of my greatest strengths um, overall is that I'm um, I'm a master at using the English language well, and I don't and I have no compunction about self-identifying as a master of the English. I know how good I am at using the English language. So um, those moments by myself, uh, you know, jogging or lifting weights in the morning, um, are times where my English language mastery part of my brain is fucking on steroids at that time. Um, and uh yeah what else i mean I, I guess with the coaching side of thing with with my, with my main gig again it's not like i'm in a conventional social interaction with someone you know like like uh they are paying me for a service uh, and even though my 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 disposition as a coach is very warm and i'm you know very good at developing um rapport with people which is you know not necessarily a conventional thing for a sort of lone wolf type you know like i i actually when i when i um work with my clients and when i meet new clients and stuff like that i actually have a very free and easy sociable outgoing cheerful um kind of personality i'm very good at developing chemistry and rapport and trust with people and so forth but to, you know something i said before ultimately even if i'm in person with them they're like an abstraction in some ways, mm -hmm. you know, like I, 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 I sort of see my clients as almost puzzles that I'm there to help answer rather than, you know, of course they are human beings that have lives and feelings and experiences and dreams and all the rest of it. I'm not depersonalizing them, but when I'm working with them, my brain almost goes back into like, you know, introvert systemizer mode. And it's like, okay, how do we process this concept? How would, how do we reckon through this concept even though this concept is in flesh and blood human form sitting in front of you and they're blinking their eyes at you and um you know they're giving off facial expressions and so forth they are no different in some ultimate sense to if you were writing a paper right now or if you were doing a literature review right now it's all just data it's all just concepts that you're there to analyze and process um so yeah man i think i think all of the above is kind of it's what what's helped position me to be comfortable in the life that I'm in. If I, I mean, God only knows now if I, if my wife was, was, you know, different, or it was a more sort of sociable extroverted person herself, or if I was, you know, uh, if I, if I wasn't able to see my coaching clients as abstractions in some sense, or if I was teaching, 
to an English language class or um, if I if I was someone who simply couldn't be by themselves while exercising for long periods of time as some people can't like some people some people some people like I've honestly had so many people hit me up and say like how do you like jog so much so don't you get bored you know like like people people are like you're fucking you know just being in your own head for like 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 an hour don't you get bored with that don't you get like unstimulated i'm like no complete fucking opposite so that's 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 a string to my bow and and, and an advantage that i have that some people just don't i guess yeah i like what i'm hearing man because you've gone beyond acceptance to seeing it as an advantage and playing with it as such which is what makes it an advantage i mean anything can be you know i um quite often when people are giving me whatever their excuses are for not being able to do this that and the other i like to draw on examples from the community that just kill that excuse so somebody says oh, i'm not smart enough to start my own business i refer to the guy down syndrome who runs a restaurant you know and things like that i like to kind of point out when you figure out what your thing is and decide that it's an advantage it becomes one you know uh, there's a coach sean stevenson he's he's passed on now but um he's called the three foot giant you know that guy um i think i think i might have heard of it somewhere yeah he's got like uh, i don't know what's called he's got that disease where the bones break and stuff all the time like that oh, yeah. thing like they just shatter and he's right and so he's ended up very small and compact as a person and you know he spent half his life in hospital and stuff so that's his thing it's not a gimmick but it's it's he often refers to and he literally calls himself the three foot giant because he's so small from this thing and a lot of his stories are a reference to like well i'm in this much pain but i still made stuff happen so how is that a disadvantage he hasn't just accepted he's gone like this is who i fucking am you know and you know he ended up with a wonderful wife and a successful business and as, as healthy as his body would let him be and so on um so i think that's the key message i'm getting through here like you said it's not exactly lone wolf i think there's like a spectrum it's more like quality over quantity very much like the thing has to be very very worth it uh and especially when it comes to socializing like you'd much prefer like you say you're down to almost one person really just the wife that'll do very very high quality very yeah, low that's quantity fine for me. Yeah. yeah yeah and i'm very similar i might be just a bit further back on the spectrum i like about five people you know um but definitely not more and someone starts small talk with me at a barbecue you know my favorite like it's one of the things i do with honesty is i'll throw out some real deep stuff to either make this happen or get rid of them you know i don't want to talk about anything that isn't really really interesting to talk about so i'm just like here's my real issues i'm like okay bye now there we go back to myself back to my head my favorite spot and like you i, I could spend three days alone and not get bored you know there's too much going on in here It'd take me three lifetimes to unpack like a single day of what's going on in there um so i think we're very similar in that sense but that's what i like i'm seeing in you is just there's so many people i've worked with who are trying to reconcile your view of the world with what appears to be the trend shall we call it and they shouldn't be as we go no no i've got to do my own thing i have to i have to, to go with what i am use it to my advantage ask myself like if this was a strength how would i treat it how would i respond to it you know it's kind of like a it's a respect you have of it 
you know, when you've had enough socializing, you respect that. You don't force it. You don't force feed yourself what everyone else is doing. Um, yeah, isn't it interesting? You and I both ended up in countries where English is rare. You know, I, I quite like it because I'm in a small town. Fucking nightmare if you speak the language. You can't get to the supermarket without bumping into six cunts. You know, and right. but I can just go and keep walking, and they're totally cool with that because they know what, what else are we going to do. You know. And, and I saw just the other day my wife, who, you know, my wife is quite opposite to me in this life, but we're at some kid's day thing and I was already fucking stimming and just dying to get out of there. And this woman who she used to dance with comes up and just throws an arm around her and just like engages her in conversation. And it was just, I'm, it's just my nightmare to have someone just invade your personal space, eat up, you were just about to leave. All the body language told her we we're about to leave. And she just anchors us in for another 10 minutes of fucking nothing. And I was just like, man, I am so glad I'm not her right now. At least I can turn around and fucking talk to my daughter or something and get out of this. But that's my nightmare, is is somebody stealing my time socially. So I think I, I see eye to eye with you a lot on this. Let's, um, let's wrap up with some pretty shameless uh, promotion in, in, of your own work. You know, um, because obviously, as you say, you do do coaching and I'm keen to hear a bit more specifics about that. Like, Who do you work with and what type of work you do? And if someone's listening who's right for you, like, uh, what is it that they need to be talking to you about? Well, first and foremost, no, first and foremost, thanks for the opportunity to give such a shameless plug. Um, uh, I think, you know, just to just to build on what we've been talking about anyone who's out there who is kind of in that low lone wolf side of the spectrum or maybe you know vacillates in that direction and uh, or knows someone who does um let me know because that's honestly my ideal client is someone a lot like me someone who maybe had that kind of dark night of the soul thinking about am i fucking weird for not being you know, in keeping with what the world seems to expect of sociality and the social world and so forth. Um, I love working with people like that. Um, and, and, and not not just to like leverage my own example to show them that there is a way, but to show them that there is a way for themselves. Like they've got a way of leveraging what's unique and distinctive about them in the service of their own growth and development. So uh, yeah, I mean, first and foremost, I actually just love working with people who are a lot like me that maybe have not had either the epiphanic moment or the, you know, the key aspects of um, reckoning with themselves that, that I've had, which have, you know, allowed me to arrive at this, you know, place of comfort and reassurance about myself and what I'm good at and everything like that. Um, more broadly, man, I, I work with people from a lot of different professions. I mean, I work with CEOs, musicians, athletes, um, you know, I've worked with people in, the, in, in my coaching with this is um, I've worked with people in the military. Um, uh, I work with uh, some academics some scientists. I've got a very, very I mean, I'm non-discriminating when it comes to prof uh, actual professions and what people come to me with. But my coaching style is certainly not for everyone. Um, it's very direct it's almost confrontational in some ways it's, it's always done from a place of genuine compassion and care um and you know mindfulness and respect for the other person's feelings but um i'm a pretty straight talker you know i i, I don't um 
I'm someone who, you know, I did my PhD at a school and in a, within a tradition that was very, very heavy on the positive psychology side of things. And I, I, I actually take a lot of inspiration as a, as a practitioner and as a scholar from positive psychology. I think it has contributed a lot of valuable insight to psychology more generally, but I think it has significant limits. And I think that positive psychology almost needs to be balanced out with a little bit more of a pessimistic psychology. And I've actually found that that's resonated with quite a few people. Quite a few people that I've worked with um, have gotten the most gains working from me by coming to this realization that it's not all fucking roses and sunshine and not in your life and not in the world. Um, a lot of people, when they seek out a coach, and I'm sure you've had this experience as well, all they're angling for is a positive outcome. All they're angling for is, you know, like um, I consider myself or something about me a problem. I'm hiring you as the person who's going to implement a solution. And, and, and almost there's, there's kind of an unstated implication there that by hiring you, you're going to guarantee me that solution. A, that's just not having realistic expect, expectations of, of a coach and, and what they do and so forth. But another thing is that from my perspective, some people have the most growth when they realize not everything is going to be hunky-dory about their lives. Um, when they realize that some of the latent levels of depression and anxiety or social aversiveness or unconfidence in certain domains, things like that, some of them, while they can be addressed, may be with you forever. And that's okay. You know, they, 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 you, know they, they, you shouldn't look in your, at yourself as just this tapestry of defects that need that for which every one of them has a fix okay many of them might do i mean you know you, you specialize in confidence and i know you know i i, I certainly um think confidence is is a is something that can be developed in most perhaps not all people over time you know sustained effort you know deliberative practice and so forth confidence is something that you know a, a sizable majority of us i think can develop over time but even someone who develops confidence or, or builds confidence it doesn't follow from that 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 confidence is going to be available to them accessible to them and on hand to them in every single domain of their life in every single context of their life and i think a big part of my success with a lot of my clients is just taking them back a little bit from those absolutes those absolute positive outcomes you know like trying to get them more comfortable with the idea of yeah you know, i mean a lot of my clients for example anxiety is the big thing and i mean anxiety you know a if you've got really bad anxiety you should be talking with a psychiatrist and not a coach but anxiety is one of those things where you can tamp down its worst excesses you can tamp down that constant um you know false positive false alarm going off in your head nonstop while also recognizing that until the day you die there are likely going to be some things some people some situations some stimuli that are going to make you anxious and that's okay you know that that's actually like legitimately okay you know like you, you, 
that the, the mere fact that you have anxiety about something should not be cause for alarm in and of itself okay to the degree that it leads to other unhelpful behaviors or deleterious life outcomes or things that you would not want in your life okay then that anxiety should be addressed right um it's like it's like also anger as well right there, there, there's a there's a healthy amount of anger that you can allow yourself and not treat as a um i can't hold my shit together i can't hold my emotions together character defect you know like we we, we don't live in a world of absolutes human beings are like the least absolute um, absolutism based species we could possibly imagine everything about um ourselves how we interface with others how we interface with the world is based on complexity it's based on granularity it's based on non specific it's based on mass specificity to a person um you know just because i again sort of maybe a little shaggy dog on this but i i think where i've had a lot of real success as a co as a coach is bringing around people to this notion that striving for per perfection that's obviously non-starter but even striving for a kind of persistent near permanent positivity that's kind of a non-starter too you know we, we we all live um under the shadow of our own shadow in a lot of ways right. we we do have dark sides that are going to re-emerge i mean you you just alluded to it before i mean you know you you were one of the most um together um you know emotionally calibrated people that i know as a person and as a professional and you were speaking before about you know uh, you know being in a, in a situation a social situation where you can just feel those fumes um you know boiling up and you know that you know that there's a limit to how much those can boil up now you didn't speak about that as though it was a defect about yourself right and and i, and I think we can kind of extend that same analysis and that same overview to any single person. You know, we are all littered with, um, you know, aspects of our, our, our psyche that perhaps could be better in some ideal Pollyanna-ish world, but to the degree that they aren't, you know, ideal, work with what you've got because you might be surprised at how much what you consider to be on the face of it a defect or a deficiency is actually a strength or an advantage lurking under the surface that you just haven't properly reckoned with or grappled with yet couldn't be more on board with that i think uh you know one of the things i thought of when i looked at your website is like dark coaching which is kind of how i view my own as well like like you i'm quite confrontational and stuff in my sessions but in the most loving way i can muster um but i like this message here because yeah i think a lot of people do come to coaching uh they'll scoff at perfectionism as being unrealistic and yet their behavior shows they are in fact you know seeking it and the same with you know if you tell them do you want to be happy all the time like, oh, i know that's not possible and yet they seem to be seeking it um and how much relief i've seen people get from going like oh i can be anxious sometimes and that's not actually a problem that needs to be solved so yeah and that's most of the pain gone from it 
you know, even getting to the point where maybe anxiety is helpful. Is it telling me something? My personal, you know, my journey with anger is a huge one. It's one of my main deviations from loyalty to stoicism as a philosophy. Is you know, stoicism generally shits on anger pretty hard. I'm like, dude, anger saved my life when I finally let it out of the cage, when I stopped fighting it, when I let it, like, tell people what I really thought, when I let it, like, design content, when I let it come through as energy in my sessions. I'm like, ah, oh, I thought anger was just punching a wall and hiding it with a Limp biscuit poster like I did as a teenager, you know. Um, <laughs> turns out anger can actually be a force of probably, I think anger's done more good for other people in my life uh, since I unleashed it than any other emotional state that i've ever been in so i love that you can you can take people there and help them get there because i think most people going to coaching think they need to fix something when they actually need to accept and utilize something which is a much much shorter it's you know a point between two lines it's not the long way around we try to work against something and correct it but it's also nuanced there are some things that perhaps really should be fixed and changed and and adjusted because as you say they lead to behaviors that are detrimental to your life so you change those bits but you only change them out they need to be changed and so on it's very nuanced and this is why coaching exists it's very hard to do this work completely on your own with that massive blind spot that we have about ourselves i mean i would never deem to coach myself as much with as much quality as another coach could do for me as well um as usual we could just keep rambling on and on and on but i think we'll just have to break it up into conversation by conversation uh just because we actually have lives to live to some extent but i really uh i appreciate you coming on and sharing your story so honestly and most importantly just putting up a flag of it's okay to be like this it can actually be an advantage if you play it right uh there's a lot of people i've already got a list of like four or five people in my head specifically that I want to send this to uh, who need to hear this because they've been fighting against being like you their whole life and I just think they need to hear that they don't need to fight against it so I really appreciate you uh, coming and putting that message out there so shamelessly yeah man I appreciate you having me on and you know to the degree that um, it resonates with people and it's a you know salient message for people then so much the better and uh yeah, i mean just the, the one thing i would add just to something you said before about you know like turning into a strength i mean the, the the quote that i keep going back to is greta thunberg you know when she when she famously said this is my superpower mm -hmm. you know like like this this is not mental illness that the shit that i've got going on up top this is nowhere near mental illness this, this sets me apart from you know the bland and timid masses in a lot of ways um i think that is one of the most beautiful powerful impactful quotes i've ever heard in my life and i think it's a guiding i think it should be a guiding philosophy for everyone whatever their superpower might be but again i mean just last thing i'll ring off with just to restate that message scratch the surface of your perceived defects there may just be a misframed misconceived strength bubbling under the surface waiting to be brought up absolutely absolutely and uh I, I i found in my own work with clients that that's so often the case that they're as cheesy as it sounds their their biggest weakness is really their biggest strength they just they're fighting against it is what makes it look like a weakness they just haven't figured out yeah. 
they're with the wrong people or they're in the wrong job or they're at the wrong place and that's why it doesn't look like a strength they're they're in a place that doesn't accept it that doesn't see it as valuable but it's amazing they change who they hang out with and all of a sudden it's like the favorite thing about them you know um my my book editor is, uh she's on the spectrum and um you know she's got she's very very honest and hard on her sleeve with her emotions for most of her life she was around people that just gave her so much shit for being like that and of course all the people in her life were like that so she figured all people are like that and then she moved from well she was in croatia of all places to be like that and then she moved to canada and now it's like everyone's like you're the only friend i can talk to and so on because she's like this you're the only one i can be honest with and so on you know she's like oh i was with the wrong people i'm actually supposed to be like this just not around them you know um it's just such a such a common occurrence i see awesome dude well uh what's the best way for people to get in touch with you if they want to start a conversation and explore working with you more um, if you go to, you can go to my website, www.energia, E-N-E-R-G-E-I-A, coaching.com. Um, also look up Energia Coaching, Facebook, Instagram. I'm on most of the socials, probably on LinkedIn a bit more than other um, social media these days. Um, otherwise, send me an email, gareth.craze, C-R-A-Z-E, um, at energiacoaching.com. Um, or just fill out the uh, the contact form on, on my website. But um, yeah, and uh, uh, um, happy to hear from anyone who who might like to tap into the mind of the lone wolf, who might be a lone <laughs> wolf themselves potentially. Uh, more than happy to hear from those. But uh, um, any 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 and all folks, welcome uh, in my lair, bro. Excellent. And uh, wherever you're watching or listening to this, I'll have all those links posted below. So just scroll down and click away. All right, thanks again, Gareth, mate, and um, no doubt we'll talk again soon. Cheers for being on the show. Bloody well, hope so, man. Cheers, mate. This is Brojo Online. Masculinity, confidence, and integrity.